Thank you, worship team. The songs were perfect for what we're going to be talking about um, this morning. Given the man that you see in front of you this morning, what I'm going to say next will probably be hard for you to believe. But when I was a youth, I was short for my age. It's true, before my growth spurt. So you, you'd hardly recognize me still today. Being short in junior high and high school and grade school, as a boy, I can tell you firsthand, can be brutal. You couple that with being a painful introvert, which I actually am, and um, it's easy to wish that you at times could be just invisible. The podium, by the way, this morning is perfect size for me. When I was in eighth grade, my mother, noticing this shyness that I had, um, felt like she had a solution for that. And so what she suggested was that um, in eighth grade you could take elective classes, and so she suggested that I take public speaking, <laughs> which every shy little boy wants to do. And so I, um, compliant as I was, signed up for public speaking and I took the class. The first semester of the class was mildly to moderately painful. The second semester of the class turned out to be devastating because the teacher um, announced that we were going to have a contest and that the contest was to see who could write kind of the, the best speeches. Well, I'm a compliant, kind, wanting to please kind of young man, and so I try to put together the very best speech that I could, and to just sweeten the deal, the teacher announced that um, there would be an award there would be a gift given for the two top speeches in the class. So, since Veterans Day was approaching, um, I decided that I would write a speech called One Nation Under God. Because I was a Christian young man and wanted to evangelize the teacher and the world and, you know, like the things we're supposed to do. So I wrote this little speech. Well, much to my surprise, and unfortunately, my speech was second in the class, which meant one of the top two, which meant that I got one of the rewards. Did I mention the teacher didn't say what the rewards were? Okay. So the reward for having such a fine speech was that you got to deliver it to the entire student body in the Veterans Day Assembly. Did I mention that my junior high had 2,000 students? Wow. Brutal. So the day came, my stomach was rolling over, I was shaking like a leaf, and the person that went ahead of me, number one, came and shared his speech, and the assembly appreciated that. Then my turn came. I walked out to the podium with my notes, 
stood behind it and set my notes on the top. <laughs> Recognizing immediately there was going to be a problem. Fortunately, one of the big boys in school, the ones that I admired, the ones that I wished that I was like, came out from the side of the stage carrying a small wooden box, set the box behind the podium so that I could step up onto it like a first grader <laughs> to be able to deliver my speech. Any guess, knowing how kind students and young people are, any guess what happened in the assembly? They, yes, so don't laugh anymore, okay? It's, no. So they burst out laughing, and I wished that I could have shrunk into oblivion. Those experiences leave a mark on us. And I'm pretty sure this morning, and you can shake your heads, that I'm probably not alone in having had experiences as a young person that left me afraid or scared or unsure or feeling not enough. Any of those sound familiar to anyone else? Those experiences hold the possibility of changing us. They help us decide what we're going to try in the future as adults and what we're just going to choose to avoid, like tall podiums, that kind of thing, hypothetically. Not only can they make us insecure or unsure of ourselves in that moment, but they often leave us feeling unsure and insecure for our futures. A single comment during childhood can echo for decades into adulthood, true? Some of you remember some of those. They can influence what we believe about ourselves, and most dangerously, they can hold us back from our hopes and dreams for life, and they can influence what we believe God can do through us and in us. I'm going to read you this morning two groups of words. I'm just going to ask you honestly and authentically to, to decide which of those two groups resonates with your soul, with how you see and feel about yourselves. Ready? Group number one. Chosen. Blameless. Complete. Unblemished. A delight, beloved, saintly. Second group, inadequate, not enough, insecure, flawed, disappointing, less than. The first group of words, are words that God uses to describe us, you, in particular. The second group of words are often words that we end up leaving childhood with, 
feeling about ourselves. And therein becomes the dilemma, how God sees you this morning and how oftentimes we see ourselves. I understand that Danny um, has been speaking on dragons and dandelions um, and is AWOL, I think, this morning. Um, and he's been talking with you about your past hurts and how those hurts can get in the way of your relationship with God and with others. I want to build a little bit on that this morning as I kind of close out that series. Some dragons are pretty well known and easy to spot. You've probably been talking about some of those and they come to mind really quickly. But other dragons are very, very sneaky. They hide in caves, they only come out kind of under the cloak of darkness. They sneak up on us at the most inconvenient times and they leave us feeling some of these feelings, the words that I've described to you. There's a principle about dragons that I want you to understand this morning. That unless you know where dragons live, it's hard to slay them. And so I want to point out a dragon that at least many of the people that I talk with struggle with. We'll take a peek, and my hope is to um, show you where he lives with the hope that um, we might be able to slay another one. Some of you already know that um, I'm a therapist, like I have a real job. This, I'm not a preacher, clearly. <laughs> Okay, so in my real job as a therapist, I see people uh, around some of the kinds of things that um, I'm talking about this morning. Sally came to see me. Uh, Sally is the only client, actually, I've ever had. She's one person, but very troubled. So I, <laughs> she provides wonderful illustration for these kinds of things. Um, Sally comes to see me, and she's in her mid-60s. She's gray, thin, very composed, sophisticated, it seems. Pastor's wife of a large congregation in our area, highly respected. We begin to do some work around her story, which is what I do. And um, after a few months, she brings in a concern to me. She describes to me that she keeps having this repetitive dream it's scary to her, it wakes her up. Her heart is thumping. And the repetitive dream that she has seems to center itself around one singular word. I say, tell me the word. Seems like this would be important for us to look at. She says, oh, I can't say it out loud. But I will write it down on a piece of paper and pass it to you. I said, all right. She writes the word down. She passes the paper over to me in session. I look at it, and there's one word written on the paper. And the word is this. Details. In big, bold letters. Details. She says, I'm, I'm terrified of that word. Well, really, I'm terrified that I'm going to miss one of them 
that I'm not going to remember everything I need to remember, that I'm not going to be, I'm going to let people down. I'm going to disappoint people around me. And then she goes on to describe her experience of coming to sessions to see me. With a great deal of shame and awkwardness, she says, each time I come for my appointment, I pack a bag. I said, what, what do you mean you pack a bag? I pack a suitcase, and I put it in the trunk of my car. I said, tell me a little more about that. She says, well, I get here early for our appointments, and I come in and I sit down in the waiting room, and I look around the waiting room to see what everyone else is wearing. And then I go out to my car and I open my luggage and I find something that looks like what other people are wearing for their appointment. Because I just, I want to fit in. I just am worried about making a mistake and doing something wrong. Now, I know the story I'm telling you is an extreme one. But I want to ask you this. Is the theme she's describing unfamiliar to you? We worry, many of us, about whether we're enough, whether we're going to be accepted by other people. It's why we cover ourselves with fig leaves. We just want to fit in. Fears that we aren't enough, and we cover those fears with all sorts of fig leaves like bravado and charisma and aggression and humor and looking the other way and hiding. You see, Sally worried about whether she was enough because of the childhood that she had and the home she grew up in. She worried because her childhood was filled with neglect and hurt and pain, and she had adopted those things as statements about her. The Bible is actually full of those characters that worried about whether they were enough or not. We don't have to actually look very far in the Bible story. It begins rather early. Would you be willing to look at a few of those with me just briefly this morning? So that you and I could feel like we're not alone. See, that other people maybe grew up with similar kinds of stories. We'll begin in Genesis, which is the beginning. Chapter 17, verse 5. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible reading devices, you might want to check. Just make sure I'm not making stuff up. Okay? If for no other reason. No longer will you be called Abram. So God comes to Abram and says, now I'm going to um, make you a father of many nations and I'm going to call you by a different name. Do you find that curious? God kind of changing people's names? Like, others have called you this. I'm going to call you this. It's almost like maybe he understands that the view of ourselves, the view we hold of us, 
is already kind of distorted or incomplete, inadequate. So he says, I'm going to call you Abraham. Now, I believe that God does things different than we do as people. How many of you had a pet name that was endearing, like sweet? Because we'll talk about the other ones this afternoon, okay? But the sweet ones, how many of you had kind of a name that was like warm and fuzzy to you that your parents gave you, like pumpkin or this or that, that kind of thing? How many of you have those names for your own children or have? Okay. So I have a son, and uh, his name is Joshua, after the Bible character. And um, I developed kind of this cute little endearing name for Josh. Um, when I wanted to get his attention, sometimes just to surprise him, I would c call him, it's a little embarrassing, I don't know where I got it, but I would call him Leroy, my boy, okay, because it rhymed and it just seemed kind of cute, and so, hey, Leroy, you know, kind of a thing. Well, he has a friend over one day, okay, when he's little, tiny, and the friend and him are playing, and I'm trying to get Josh's attention, and I call out, Leroy. Well, his friend looks at him and says, who's your dad calling? And Josh says, oh, he's calling me. And then here's this little six-year-old, and he says, the, the kid says, why is he calling you Leroy? And Josh says, without a hitch, oh, that's what my dad calls me when he can't remember my name. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? <laughs> so the last time I called him Leroy, uh, I recognized I was creating all sorts of damage uh, for the future. So God seems to have a little more intention between his name changes than ours. And he does it a lot. Abram to Abraham, Sari to Sarah, Jacob to Israel. And it doesn't stop there. In the New Testament, who else is? Okay, Saul to Paul, Simon to Peter, and on and on. I have to be curious about that. Whether that's a hint to you and I, that God sees us different than we see ourselves. Because names have to do with identity. So, let's take a look at um, maybe a few others. God sees us one way, we see ourselves due to our own stories, I think oftentimes another way. When this happens, there is a disconnect between what God wants to do through us and what we feel capable of doing in his service. Oftentimes, some of the passages that we're going to look at briefly this morning have been described to me as evidence of people's weakness of faith, like they just didn't have enough faith in God. I'm going to ask you to look at them a little differently this morning, and I'm hoping that um, the perspective I share with you will be thought-provoking for you. I see something different. I see people who aren't questioning what God is capable of doing. They're actually questioning what they're capable of doing. We notice the insecurity that they feel in the role that God is asking them to play. They believe that God is God, just like we do this morning. They just don't believe that they are the right person for the job 
or that God should use them in that manner. That's more about their lack of self-esteem than it is about their trust or faith in God. Could this be happening to us this morning as well? That is, just for your consideration, because I, I, I don't want to rattle your thinking too much. This is church after all, okay? But could it be possible that because of how you see yourself this morning, God ends up thwarted in some of what he wants to do through you and within you? Would you consider that possibility? Here are some examples. So if we continue with Abraham, God comes to him and he is talking about the blessing in chapter 17, verses 7 or 15 through 17. So God says to Abraham, as for Sarah, okay, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarah, her name will be Sarah. That probably, by the way, was kind of confusing in the house initially, I'm guessing. I will bless her and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. That's a pretty great promise. God's got a big project and mission. Notice how Abraham responds. He falls face down and then what? He laughs inside, okay? And then notice what he says first. Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Is that about God or is that about Abraham? Now, because this is PG and we have just a little few down like you're smaller, you know, I won't go into detail, but what I will point out is Abraham seems to be questioning, shall we say, his performance, (laughs) his ability as a hundred-year-old man to make this happen, okay? And so that's about Abraham. We know from other passages Jesus tells us that he could make stones turn into children of Abraham. So it's not like God couldn't do it. It's just Abraham saying, if it's going to be on me, I don't know if I can make that happen, really. Does that make sense to you? All right, that's about him. Let's look at another Bible character quickly, a pillar of the Old Testament. Pardon the pun. So we are introduced to Moses in Exodus, and how does Moses see himself? In the very first chapter, uh, first verse of chapter 4, Moses is talking about, what if people don't believe that you sent me? What if they, and so God kind of goes through the staff and the miracles and all of that, but Moses is saying, not what if they believe in a different God or they don't believe in you, he's saying, what if they don't believe me? I'm just maybe not that good of a spokesman. Then later on in verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, but I've never been eloquent. I've neither in the past, like when I was a little boy, I couldn't speak well, or since you've spoken to your servant, I'm slow of speech and tongue. He's not saying, God, you're not going to be able to bring the people of Israel out. He's just saying, I'm probably not the guy to do that, really, because of my own insecurities, which we get a hint, 
go back quite a ways. A therapist would even say childhood. O Lord, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? At the risk of, because we probably shouldn't say this about God, but he sounds a little defensive. Okay, like really, Moses, seriously? I can take care of this, but Moses is still concerned about whether he's the right person. Is it not I, the Lord? Then he goes on. Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. And after that, actually, God gets a little bit frustrated with Moses. And um, finally, Moses says this. Pardon your servant, Lord. Uh, Please send somebody else. Now we're getting to the nitty-gritty, okay? So again, notice, this isn't about, I don't think you can make, you can pull this off, God. This is Moses saying, nope, I'm not your guy. And I want you to think of a strange concept for a moment. What if, what if Moses just says, no, too scary for me. I'm, I'm not good enough at what you're asking me to do. And then do we sometimes say those very same things? Let's look at one other circumstance and another character, and that would be our buddy um, Gideon. You remember Gideon? Kind of in Judges and the the whole uh, fleece thing, all of that. God comes to Gideon and says this. The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now that's a very complimentary kind of title. I would love that, okay? Like Byron, mighty warrior. Gideon, instead of, yes, I am, awesome, he says, oh, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan was born on the wrong side of the tracks. We, um, we aren't respected by people, and I'm the littlest guy in the family, okay? I'm, I'm a short dude, okay? I am not going to be able to give the speech, or lead the people, or do this, or do that, that you have in mind for me. So my question is this. Are there things this morning that God wants to do through us that aren't happening because of how we have learned to see ourselves? Gideon goes even further when he throws out the fleece, you know that story we enjoy so much? Oh, and then there's dew on this, and then there's not. If you will save Israel by my hand as you've promised, then do the fleece thing. I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor if there's dew on there, and then on he goes. Well, is this about faith in God? No, this, he doesn't trust I'm hearing from God. You, you, you got the wrong guy. God is so confused about who we are, we think, when maybe he actually sees us the way we are and loves us and has big plans for us. If we could get out of his way based on how we've come to understand ourselves. 
Not only does this inaccurate view of ourselves impair what God wants to do through us, but I also want to suggest one other thing, that this twisted perspective also inhibits our receiving from God what he has for us. Due to our own fears and our own insecurities, we may leave blessings he has for us unrealized, abandoned on the table. There's a story that you know from Luke chapter 15, if you've been in church very long at all. It's a story about a young man who um, can't wait for his inheritance. You know that story? And so, since he can't wait, he asks his father if he can have the money before he dies, which is still rude today. (laughs) His father gives him the money, and he goes off to another land, and I think the Bible text says, spends it wildly. So he probably like moved to Portland, okay, (laughs) from somewhere else. And he just is living wildly until the money is all gone. And then he begins to realize there's a problem. When he came to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Now notice what he says next. I am no longer what? Worthy to be considered your son. Just take me on as a hired hand. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The food, because how does his father take him back? Do you, you know how the story ends? Yeah. Like, he's welcomed, and then there's that whole calf thing, you know, and there's the big party, and there's all of that which was always there and available. But he's eating pig slop in another country because of how he sees himself. You see that? All of that feast is still left on the table and he doesn't get any of it, not because his father was unwilling, but because of how he felt about himself unworthy. This morning, is there any tinge of unworthiness? Has your childhood, have the things that you learned about you impaired God from using you in the way that he wants and blessing you in the way that he desires? When I was 13, I uh, got my first job. I was a janitor at the church where we attended. My mother actually got the job for me. She talked to uh, Reverend Kelly, Willie, as we called him, uh, and talked him into hiring me on as the janitor. I think her belief being that if you touched holy objects frequently enough, you'd get holy. (laughs) Yeah, and so I don't know that that really played out like she wanted it to, but I did meet Willie and spend time with him, and my experience of being with the pastor changed my life forever. 
As janitor, I would show up on Saturday mornings to clean the church and ready it for Sunday worship. One Saturday morning, um, Willie invites me to his office to share a morning break. Now, you may not know this, and I probably shouldn't tell you this about pastors because you probably have this really wonderful idealized view, but um, Willie was working on his sermon, of course, on Saturday to preach on Sunday. You thought that they started on Monday, but they don't. Okay. And so he's working on his sermon, and he decides it's time for a break, and he calls me in, and uh, so we have a little breakfast kind of break, which was the time he introduced me actually to Dr. Pepper, breakfast of champions along with a candy bar. <laughs> so Willie and I are in his office, and we're having this wonderful kind of time together, um, and uh, as he finishes his candy bar, he kind of wrinkles up, crumples up the wrapper, uh, a marathon. Anybody remember marathon candy bars? Kind of caramel and yeah. So he wraps that up and he throws the candy bar wrapper towards the wastebasket by his desk. But unfortunately, the wrapper is really long, so it acted really kind of like a parachute and it just kind of opens up mid-room and drops into the middle of the room there, which was noticeable by the janitor because it was like, serious? <laughs> Put stuff in the can, will you? Save me a little bit of effort. So there we sat, the wrapper right in the middle of the room. And a few minutes pass when all of a sudden, something truly remarkable happens. All of a sudden, a mouse steps out from one uh, under his bookcase and with incredible audacity. I mean, we're sitting right there. Walks right across the pastor's study, sits in front of the wrapper, and starts eating the chocolate and the caramel that was left on the wrapper. We're stunned. We just, like, really? <laughs> and it's just nibbling away, nibbling away, acting like we aren't even there. One of the reasons that Willie had such an impact on me as a young man was he um, was remarkably insightful. As we sat there in silence, he interrupted it with these words. Byron, Hebrews 4, 16. I didn't know my Bible much at 13. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, here, let me read it for you. Hebrews 4, 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. He says, Byron, that's the mouse. Were the mouse. That thing walked boldly into the pastor's study of all places, hallowed ground, and isn't afraid at all. And that's what God invites you and I to experience with him, to walk boldly before him and with him. That's hard to do when we see ourselves as 
flawed, inadequate, not enough. It's hard to answer the call of engaging in his work in the world when we feel like he has the wrong person. I want to suggest this morning that God's not actually very confused at all about who you and I are. In the Living Bible, it says this, we don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. He knows us and loves us just as we are. Or as a friend of mine likes to say, he's particularly fond of us. We're loved. If we can just move our own hurts out of the way to be able to be used by him in the way that he wants and to bless us in the way that he desires. This afternoon's workshop um, is going to be about um, helping you or others to understand the process by which we go through that. How do we get out of God's way so that he can do in us what he desires? I'm going to leave you this morning with a uh, song by another friend. Her name is J.J. Heller, and um, she sings about how we see ourselves and the experience that we have. And as you watch the video and listen to her share, because uh, she puts it in wonderful words, I want you to think this morning, how do I see me? And how I see me, is that getting in God's way of what he wants to do through me and what he wants to bless me with? He cries in the corner where nobody sees He's the kid with the story no one would believe He prays every night Dear God, won't you please Could you send someone here who will love me? Who will love me for me?
is a man.